0: Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they
1: want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekalona, and this is Nashville. If you're of a certain age, you may remember that prior to 1992, there were just not many obvious references to cannabis in popular culture. Yes, 1960s counterculture, I see you. After the release of Dr. Dre's classic album, The Chronic, that started to really change. Songs, movies, and literature began to openly talk about the plant. And since that moment, 30 years ago, weed has become increasingly mainstream. Now more than 30 states have legalized medical usage and nearly 20 have okayed recreational use. Tennessee is not among those states. Our climate is good for hemp cultivation, even if our political climate is not. But maybe that's changing. Today, we're going to look at Tennessee's cannabis culture from root to flower. But first, it's time for add us. Yes, every Thursday we're taking time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, you know it. You know how it goes. I'm literally encouraging you to add us on Twitter at ThisisNashville, on Instagram at this is Nashville underscore WPLN and at WPLN News on Facebook. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Canon. What is up, Anna?
2: Hey, Khalil. It's been kind of a slow week online, Hmm. Um, but I definitely want to shout out to the Nashville SC fans today Um, when they tuned in earlier this week uh, when we talked about uh, the weekend's game. Uh, They are definitely loud when they need to be. Yes. (laughs) And I think we may have turned some of our regular show listeners into soccer fans, too.
1: What do you mean?
2: Well, Monday show was a day after Nashville SC's opening match at their brand new stadium. And we had Kate Gidry on as a guest. She's the bass drummer on the back line, and she leads the NSC chant. And during the show, she gave her pitch for, um, you know, anyone who wants to come out to a future match.
3: If you like being loud, if you like cheering, if you like just being in an atmosphere of people that are so passionate about something, I invite you just to come out to a game and just... See what it's all about. Sit in the supporters section. Or if you don't feel ready for that, sit anywhere else in the stadium. And just it's something you need to experience at least once, in my opinion.
2: So after the show, someone took her up on that offer to sit in the supporters section. On Twitter, our listener, who goes by Eric from Tennessee, reached out to Kate and later uh, shared... And added us. Um, I've just joined the NSC roadies after yesterday's interview on This is Nashville. It was an easy decision.
1: Hey, that's right. And I plan to go to some matches even without a press pass. (laughs) So what else are our listeners talking about?
2: So after Tuesday's show on housing, Nick Lindman wrote to us on Twitter saying, I wish you kept the focus of this discussion on social class. And not shifted it to examining different groups like uh, immigrants and refugees. Mm -hmm. I think this is interesting because we are having more conversations in the WPLN newsroom about how can we make sure our reporting serves working class audiences. In this case, we wanted to recognize the unique barriers that immigrants and refugees face when trying to find housing in the city. Like, you know, how if you're new to the country, having a lack of a credit score can definitely impact where you live. Yeah. So I reached out to Nick online, but I also want all of our listeners to know that we're planning more shows about housing in the future, since it's something that WPLN is definitely focusing on over the next few months. Definitely.
1: You know, I, I mean, I really appreciated hearing how immigrant and refugee, the experience is unique in some ways, but I can see where Nick is coming from. We can't give everything away, but WPLN listeners can expect to hear stories focused on specific neighborhoods, resources for anyone searching for housing and look into affordable housing solutions.
2: So that is something that our listeners can definitely keep an ear out for. Another um, episode that we're planning around is about abortion access in light of recent events. Uh-huh. And um, we'd like to hear from our listeners to help us, you know, guide and shape that conversation. For example, someone emailed us about their concerns on how new abortion restrictions will impact pregnant people in rural Tennessee counties, you know, where health care options are already very limited. So if um, listeners have anything that they'd like to contribute or, you know, send us their questions about abortion access, they can leave us a voice message on our website. This is Nashville.org.
1: Please, please do that. Many thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, same time, next, same place. We'll see you next week.
2: Of course. And everyone knows where to find me online. Hmm.
1: Don't forget to add us. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, let's keep these comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll shed some light on the existing cannabis laws in our state and learn why Delta 8 was in the spotlight in the past legislative session. Do you think Tennessee should legalize marijuana? Tweet us your thoughts at thisisnashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Iqalona, and this is Nashville. It's a pleasant spring evening in East Nashville, and a familiar vehicle is parked at the busy corner of Woodland and North 11th Street. The small blue vintage truck belongs to the Garden family, a local cannabis business, and several employees are here greeting customers, and in between sales, just hanging out.
4: We're in Five Points, and. Uh this is like the the Garden Family truck, the blue truck we call it. Uh, we got the fruit stand right here, and then one of our tricycles over there, just kind of hanging out before we, you know, spread apart. This is like a really great local spot, so uh, we have a lot of return customers. So this one, it's like a, it's an eighth of weed, it's half a gram of wax, and it's covered in keef. Uh, That's inside of King Paul, ready to smoke. Those things are a a big seller for us. Uh, And then again, we have the pre-rolled joints and those are about like 1.8 grams of our higher THC flour. And that's um, that's gonna be around like 15 to 17% uh, THC, depending on the strain. Uh, First of all, the laws in Davidson County are really lax, like uh, uh, for instance it's decriminalized up to two ounces to have uh any cannabis products and then there's no regulation on the distillates or anything um and then on top of that there's uh you know other loopholes that we jump through uh to be able to serve a higher thc
5: uh i just love weed i have a passion for it and i know a lot about it so i'm like
0: getting paid to smoke and sell weed every day like hell yeah
2: You know, we're just kind of like hanging out and then when the phone goes off and it's time for me to venture out to the city i'll do that um so we do 24-hour delivery service in nashville um we have a full menu and somebody we have a phone number that you can text anytime and we'll basically just communicate with you and
5: help you figure out what it is that you want i just uh served up Uh, One of our regular customers, she's always looking for me in this area around six o'clock. This is a custom-built cannabis tricycle. Um, It holds edibles on the bottom here. Uh, I have high THC. Um, I also have um, blunts. The tricycle is good because I can go anywhere I want to. I'll travel like to Broadway um to meet um to serve the the tourists who come to nashville to like have a good time and i, I like to be a part of their experience is very fulfilling we basically started the, the cannabis industry in Nashville on the strip strip of broadway and we um, had space from uh, next to jason aldean's um, and we did a lot of business there on our on our trucks, and we were the first ones down there. Um, but then, bar owners and the parking lot owners um, decided that they wanted to do it themselves, so they they did. It's like I'm the ice cream truck, but like cannabis style.
1: Reminds me of friends from college. So if you head to a smoking shop or a convenience store, you may see a sign that something called Delta 8 is for sale. Now, some of you may not know what that is, and some of you may be very familiar with the product. Either way, it was a focus of a pretty big bill in the past legislative session. My next guest is here to break down the nuggets of said legislation and other cannabis laws. Cecily Friday is a lobbyist and executive director of the Tennessee Cannabis Coalition, and she joins us now. Cecily Welcome to This is Nashville.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: So my first question is about Delta-8. What is it and how is it different from what is commonly known as
6: pot?
3: Well, Delta-8 is a cannabinoid found in the cannabis plant. Um, It it usually occurs in small amounts, um, naturally occurring small amounts. Um, What you see on the market today, however, uh, is Delta 8 that is derived from CBD. So it's converted in the lab using acids to pr- make the product. This is the, it's pretty much the same for um, Delta 10 product uh, Del- uh, Th-E, uh, Delta 10 products as well on the market in in Tennessee and throughout the country.
1: Okay, well since we're putting like a fine point on things here, what about hemp and cannabis? What's the difference?
3: well hemp is cannabis um the distinction um between hemp and marijuana is a legal one not a botanical uh one um it, it is all cannabis
1: what's is it sort of like beer and liquor
3: yeah yeah um yeah with with uh, marijuana you you have high t h c um yeah and hemp uh federally legal hemp is uh under point zero three percent
1: okay Okay, you know, in this year's legislative session, we saw several cannabis bills introduced, but the one that got the most attention was the bill presented by state representative William Lambert that would have banned THC products, including Delta 8. Break down the details of that bill for us.
3: Well, originally, the bill was designed to ban THC products in the state of Tennessee. Um, William Lamberth got uh, quite a bit of a backlash from the industry here in Tennessee over that bill. We spent Tennessee Cannabis Coalition spent several weeks lobbying um uh, against that bill and doing call-in campaigns, um, having citizens call in their legislators to object to the ban on THC products in the state, uh, we have a we have a robust um, uh, hemp industry in the state of Tennessee. So a lot of the industry professionals and industry partners um, worked together to to you know, address this issue. Um, After two weeks of our call-in campaign um, to William Lamberth and members of the House, um, we got, we ended up, I ended up getting a call from William Lamberth on my cell phone when I was on the way to the Ryman to take my daughter out to a concert. And Mm. we had a lengthy discussion about where we are with cannabis, you know, at the federal level and where we need to go at the state level. And I basically, Explain to him, and this is a really important point that everybody needs to understand about this: is that in with the 2018 Farm Bill, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell federally legalized low THC cannabis. So basically, what we're regulating now at the federal level is delta nine THC, which is just one cannabinoid out of hundreds in the plant. And so now that hemp is federally legal, um, you know the industry has access—legal access—to cultivate and produce and dispense, you know, you know a variety of cannabinoids that are pr- produced in the plant. So we, it, it, was a, it was a big game changer for the industry. And, and, and as a result, um, of course, we've been doing hemp in Tennessee since 2015. But since the 2018 Farm Bill, we've, we've had an abundance of processors, cultivators and dispensaries pop up throughout the state.
1: So what was what happened next after that phone call that you had with Representative Lambert?
3: Well, once I explained to him that, that Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell had federally legalized low THC cannabis, the, the light went off. Mm. And then the conversation changed to, okay, how do we regulate this? And so that's, and and I, I want to make clear that there, there are numerous other organizations that are, that were working on this in tandem. So we were kind of hitting this from all angles. Um, but, but there was, there was finally an understanding made that, you know, the horse had left the proverbial barn, if you will, and they needed to, they needed to safely regulate this. And, 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 you know, by and large, the, industry in Tennessee has been very responsible about proactively regulating as far as age restrictions, as far as um, the amount of THC and products, um, you know, uh, childproof packaging. We, we as an industry have largely been proactive about, about doing these things. And, and, and we were the ones that came to the table and said, we want to we have these safe regulations and consumer safety regulations put in place for the benefit of the industry and for the benefit of consumers
1: if you're just tuning in this is nashville and i'm your host khalil like this hour we're talking about cannabis in tennessee so cecily as mentioned it's um i want to ask you real quick what led you to becoming a lobbyist and an advocate for cannabis legalization
3: well, I've been a political activist most of my adult life, but in 2013, I got invited to go as a citizen lobbyist uh, to the legislature to lobby on behalf of medical cannabis in the state. I have uh, lupus, which was a later diagnosis before, before that, uh, um, or after that, rather, and I have PTSD. So I knew that cannabis had wor- worked well for those conditions, um, and I had seen it firsthand. And so that first year, I lobbied with a woman. I walked the halls of the legislative plaza with a woman by the name of Gail Grauer, whose granddaughter had Gervais syndrome, which is a seizure disorder. And we lobbied for medical cannabis and CBD only legislation that session, and it didn't pass. Um, And between that first and second legislative session, Chloe, her granddaughter died. And I was outraged and furious because I knew if she had been in a legal state, she would still be alive today. And that really put the impetus on me to get more involved and help organize um, activist organizations throughout the state. And that that's what um, brought about the the development of the Tennessee Cannabis Coalition to educate lawmakers and the public on the consumer health and safety data that was emerging out of legal cannabis states.
1: I'd like to introduce my next guest. Frederick Coffin, is the head of the Hemp Alliance, Tennessee. Frederick, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you today. You know, as Cecily mentioned, the 2018 Farm Bill drastically changed hemp policy nationwide. How did it really change things here in Tennessee?
6: Well, one, it allowed us to fully commercialize the plant. Uh, you know, there were, I would say there was both positives and negatives uh, as far as effect. Um, from a positive standpoint, it allowed all of that research and development and the companies that started up, say, back in 2015, which Cecily already mentioned, it made it commercial that we could legally uh, do business however on a negative side where it left some holes is what was legalized was the cultivation of hemp across all u.s soil as donald trump wrote it as they wrote it into the bill where we left off is having fda regulation and oversight over all of the products that we now have proliferated shelves across the country and right here in the state of Tennessee, you know, and even from an economical standpoint, according to the fiscal note that the legislators came up with as they were presiding this year, it's over $200 million market in the state of Tennessee. That's good, but where we have opportunity is getting Hemp defined as a dietary supplement and approved for food and drinks. Now, in the state of Tennessee, with the work that the Tennessee Growers Coalition has done, it has been codified into our laws, and that's why you see restaurants like Lab County and other organizations that are providing it in food drinks. But from the United States total, we still have work to do at the federal level.
1: How good? What's Tennessee's
6: potential as a location for the growth of hemp? So let's just talk cannabis. You know, this is something that I preach as I go locally or across the country. The South will own cannabis once our legislators get out the way hmm. and we set this up. You know, and it's ours to lose because when we look at when this was stopped we own cannabis. The last contract that was done with the United States government on ropes for uh, ships was with Tennessee and the best, even, you know, and I get this from people out in California, Humboldt County, that whenever I say I'm from Tennessee, one of the things that they say is that some of the best grows in the country, you know, we, we, you know, i.e., the illicit market, but no, this is fruitful ground, fruitful ground for growing the plant. And so, I I believe that at the end of the day, the South will own the cannabis space, whether it's high THC or low THC. And then, one of the other opportunities too, because we're so restrained right now, there is a lot of innovation going on in this state. You know, we we're, we're 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 working with one hand behind our back. And that's building our muscles. So by the time that the floodgates open, you're going to see that experience, that innovation go across both
1: sides. You know, some people only know of hemp through its association with reefer, but it has a lot of other properties. I know that hemp is being used for clothing and paper products, but, you know, Frederick, what else can it be used for?
6: Oh, yeah. No, let's just talk about the plant. You know, I I truly feel that this plant was in the Garden of Eden. Hmm. Um, God is both masculine and feminine. Also, this plant is both masculine and feminine. There is the masculine side, which doesn't get a lot of attraction right now, but it will very soon. That's the male plant, and that's for fiber and grain. Uh, And then we have the feminine side, which is the one that takes care of us. And that's all of the CBD and other cannabinoids that you see coming into the market. You know, when you look at the hemp plant, it is the one plant, think about this, it's the one plant that can house you, clothe you, feed you, and take care of you from a medicinal point of view. And then I'll even add this, when the material that goes from the hemp plant off into being processed, the first step in conversion is crude. It goes to crude oil, and then that then gets taken down to distillate and to isolate, which then goes into products at both of those steps. If you talk disc- distillate, those pins that you see, the vape pens, that's distillate mm-hmm. when you see topicals and other products, whether food or otherwise, on the CBD or cannabinoid side, that's coming from isolate. And so going back to my first point, it's the one plant that can do all of these things. And so now doubling down on the male side, masculine side, we have the opportunity, I call it agriculture 2.0. It's all about sustainability, this plant can remediate the soil, it's carbon neutral. It's where we're going as a society and trying to save Mother Earth. And so within the state of Tennessee, we have so many companies that could benefit in reaching their sustainability goals, whether it's from textile. Whether it's automotive, you know, we at this point are the largest automotive producing state in the country when Ford signed that deal for Blue Over City. Mercedes Benz, BMW, VW are already putting hemp fiber into their cars because Europe already has put that mandate in place that they got to be carbon neutral, I want to say by 2030. And so, I have a BMW X3. The insulation in my doors is hemp fiber. That was one of the the things that the sales guys sold me on because they knew I'm in the industry. And so that particular day when I'm in the dealership and they had the new vehicles out with the hemp fiber in it, they said, Frederick, we got something for you. You know, they're already doing it. And so what it creates the opportunity is, well, one, there's no way that they can ship all of that material over to the United States to be able to scale this. That's where Tennessee and our local states come in, because we can grow it domestically and feed off into that system. That's benefiting our number one uh Consumer, or I would say membership base within the hemp alliance of Tennessee, which is farmers. Cecily Friday is still with us. Cecily, Frederick
1: mentioned CBD. A lot of people have used it for health benefit reasons and other reasons. You know, but tell us why is there a resistance to CBD? <laughs>
3: Um, we honestly, I mean, of course, we're in the industry bubble, if you will. So we don't necessarily see that kind, the kind of resistance you see with uh, CBD that you would with THC products. In fact, um, you know, we're seeing broad acceptance of it. It's 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 not psychoactive, uh, highly psychoactive like you see with THC products. It's um, it's 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 generally safe. I mean, the FDA has said it's generally safe for use um, for consumers. um, And and it's well well received that we don't have, you know, we don't see adverse reactions to CBD um, like you do with, you know, pharmaceuticals. So I I think I think by and large you're seeing a a pretty pretty great acceptance uh, um, by consumers for these products because they work very well. They're very safe, um, you know, and and they're they're now easily accessible.
1: You know, we're a long way from the days of reefer madness, but there's still the stigma attached to cannabis. Right. You know, Frederick, sure. Frederick, tell me, tell me, what do you have to say to folks who are ensconced in their opposition to pot?
6: <laughs> um, yeah, being a minority, my first thought goes to um This is not a black and brown issue um, and we're not destroying the world. (laughs) Um, But on another note, you know, um, we have seen the benefits of the plan as Cecily just alluded to that we're within consumers are getting broad acceptance. However, after 50 years of talking points and using black and brown people as a political wedge to demonize the plant, we still have a lot of work to do to really change the political narrative because the fight is not with consumers, they're loving it. In fact, when I'm out in the community, I'm meeting people who are using the product all the time, but if you're using a full spectrum, and when I say full spectrum, I mean, it's not just literally CBD, but it's the whole plant, the essence of the plant that is very beneficial to aid. And, and, and you know, it has helped people with their anxiety and other things, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then where they come into an uh, issue with is Full Spectrum does have THC in it. And if your company does any type of uh, drug testing, CBD, and there's cases on the books right now, you know, you can Google it and find where people employees are running into problems where their test is coming back negative because of most of those tests are just Pass, fail, hey, any THC in your system, okay, you failed the test. But literally it could be a THC, you know, it could be CBD, full spectrum product. And so really, I would say it two ways. One, I was just up a month ago meeting with uh, Senator McConnell um, on behalf of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which is a national advocacy group, and we were discussing how We need to get FDA to move on. Uh, It's two bills in the House. One is HR 841, and then the HR 6134 consolidated bill in the Senate 1698. Which that bill would basically get the FDA to create, as I mentioned earlier, dietary supplement approved at the federal level for food and beverage, where we have the and here's what representatives were saying to me. Um, bipartisan, they were saying it would be great when the United States legislators, Congress would free the plant, i.e., legalize marijuana, because then it's getting ready to remove the hurdles and the challenges that you all in the hemp industry are facing because we keep butting up to that, whether it's in banking where banks will shut down our accounts because they're questioning after a company starts making so much money. Are you sure it's just hemp that you're working with? You sure you're not doing some illicit marijuana? So, one, it's at the legislative level. The people are ready for this. You know, the polls, the polls in any Mm -hmm. state is more than 70 percent of our citizens saying let's free the plant right now. The, Cecily, it's just still. Yeah. I I really love to get your thoughts
1: on this, Cecily.
3: Well, I want to I want to get back to a point that Frederick b- brought up about the way these laws are disproportionately um, executed. We got like about and- a minute
1: left. Perfect.
3: Okay, yeah, and, 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 and that is still a huge problem that we have to deal with as far as consumers go. Um, people with children you know, who wanna use these products, if they get drug tested, they might be at risk of dealing with child protective services. These kind of consumer protections, we, we really need to work on and get in place uh, uh, so, so people don't have to deal with these, these unnecessary repercussions.
1: What real quick from you, Cecily, you know, what are you what what chances are we gonna have of having, you know, the federally removing cannabis marijuana from Schedule One drugs?
3: Well, I think there's a lot of support in Congress for this to happen. Unfortunately, what we're dealing with is the same thing that that a lot of good legislation is dealing with um, is the 60 vote hurdle that has to happen in the Senate. And, you know, this is where good legislation goes to die. Um, and until we get past that hurdle, we're going to continue ha- to have this issue. I mean, as long as we have a pro-cannabis uh, uh, president too, we've got to deal with that as well. Biden is, is, has said that he wants to work on cannabis law reform, but he's not enthusiastic about it. So this is where people have to talk to that, put pressure on lawmakers and, and our president, and uh, to, to 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 get movement on this issue because there are even Republicans that that support this. It's just as a party, you know, it's, it's it's a political issue. So that's that's where we we, we run into the difficulty of, of getting movement on this issue.
1: That was Cecily Friday, executive director of the Tennessee Cannabis Coalition and Frederick Coffin, head of the Hemp Elias of Tennessee. Thanks to you both for being on the show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk with some proprietors of cannabis-based businesses to get a sense of the products that are currently available. Do you think cannabis should be legal nationwide? Tweet us your thoughts at This is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. and this is Nashville. Earlier in the hour, we talked about cannabis laws. Now let's turn our attention to cannabis products with some local business owners. Drea Groeschel-Guinness is the president of Nusachi Hemp, and Derek Basinias is owner of Labcana, a CBD and cannabis company. Drea, Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you both for being here.
7: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks a lot, Colleen. Full Full disclosure, a few months ago, when I moved into town and started engaging with the community, I met Derek, and we've had a few opportunities to hang out and to see the city with him. Okay, so you are both proprietors of cannabis products. Drea, I wanna start with you. What is the biggest roadblock that you're facing due to its schedule one status?
7: Well, first I'll say that I am fairly new to this industry. So um, my perspective at this point is really fresh, right? I, I'm fresh to the to the party here, and what I'm finding, I mean, I have I have about two decades worth of, of consumer product launches under my belt, and now at the at the helm of a company pushing out um, hemp-based products, I'm finding this web, uh, sort of this murky web that we have to navigate. Um, you know, to build and put together a functioning uh, legal business. So, for example, um you know if you want to um, you want to put up a website for e-commerce, there are many vendors that will not work with you. If you want to be able to process credit cards so that the consumer can purchase your products, some credit card processors won't work with you. And often the ones that will work with you as a proprietor, are charging you more because they see it as high risk because the regulatory area is so gray and murky for them as well. So by way of the high risk, you're now in a you're now in an environment where it is very challenging to start or operate a business as well as more
1: expensive. Derek, are you facing similar challenges? Oh, very much so. Um,
8: I couldn't echo that uh, any louder. But yes, there is something that the industry likes to call a green tax. Uh, That green tax is just increased costs, increased pricing simply because uh, we are cannabis. And regardless that we are federally uh, legal in hemp, um, those barriers still exist to just do good business.
1: Now, Drea, you mentioned before that you spent two decades in launching products for things. You know, go into a little bit more about the learning curve that you had to adjust with in launching this new product that's cannabis related.
7: Sure. So so Nusachi Hemp is launching um, a beverage uh, this July. We're very excited about it. Um, And it's a hemp infused beverage. And, uh, you know, I have never had to put together a company where literally every call I make the vendor on the other side may or may not take us on as a business partner. I have a great example of this recently where, um, something as simple as a copywriter. So someone who's going to write copy for advertisements or for website verbiage Mm -hmm. literally came back to me and said, ah, you know, I have been advised by my legal counsel that I'm not sure we should work together because I don't think i can I can produce work for you and take on that risk. A copywriter. So this is really stemming., uh, you know, it, it's it's all around us. And when you really stack up the amount of vendorship uh, that is challenged by should they or should they not participate um, in this industry, um that creates uh, it creates timeline issues and again it creates further expense but it also takes away a talent pool you know so so when you know you're looking at pushing new products into the market not only do we want to utilize the best talent and resources we have but we also want to ensure that we are going to be able by language and visual content portray the best education to the consumer to make sure there is safety met and the consumer understands what they are buying. And at the moment, that piece of the regulatory isn't in place. And so we've had to sort of skirt around um, different language aspects of really getting to the point of what what we're actually selling. We actually can't say sometimes Hmm. because it might get pulled from the shelf because technically we're not supposed to say it because it's not supposed to be in the market. Right. And you can see now this can create a lot of of misinformation and misguided um, education to the consumer.
1: Now, Derek, you're big on cannabis education. It's a passion of yours. Talk to me. How did that develop? Absolutely. So that is um, really a personal story,
8: Um, much like many of those on this session. uh, Many of those that just exist that are cannabis proponents. It's because it had such a tremendous impact on a health and wellness scale. that's been the case for me. Uh, I had one of the worst traumatic brain injuries that Vanderbilt Trauma Center had ever seen. And I uh, credit my full cognitive recovery to cannabis and cannabinoids specifically, uh, neurological protection and regeneration. Um, that education component is so important, not just for consumers, but obviously our lawmakers, our law enforcement, educators, uh, children, parents, I mean, it's really changing the perception that was uh, indoctrinated in us with the war on drugs. And that's 50 years of misinformation that we are trying to correct. And in order to get that education out there, we need to be able to have a platform to do so. And even that is forbidden, just like Dre was saying.
1: Yes. So, you know, like like Jerry was saying, have you been in a similar situation as to where you're trying to educate, you're trying to push forward new products, but you have to be incredibly vague with everything that you're saying? Oh, absolutely. Um, many,
8: all of the products that we make are based off of research that has been done, uh, not necessarily by ourselves, but true research institutions and medical professionals globally. Um, In order to bring that information to the public and to consumers, you're not allowed to just outright say this is definitively the result of why you're taking the product. Uh, you, You really have to have the consumer make that
1: connection themselves. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil E. Colonna. We're talking with people who run cannabis-based businesses. Now, let's get into the chain of supply and how that works. Jay Mitchell is an expert in cannabis cultivation, and he joins us now. Jay, thanks for being with us.
0: Thanks for having me, Khalil.
1: So, you know, Jay, what are the most common misconceptions about cannabis products and how they are cultivated?
0: Well, I think the one of the biggest misconsumptions is that this product is simple to manufacture and produce in a clean safe way. Uh, it's quite a complicated process and and difficult to bring new products to market uh, that uphold the the true safety and efficacy that we want to see as a as a cannabis
1: product. So it's not as simple as throwing seeds in your backyard. No, sir, not exactly. <laughs> so in preparation for the show, we heard someone say that Tennessee's hemp industry is, quote, propped up on toothpicks, end quote. How do you respond to that?
0: Well, you know, I think Frederick made a good point earlier. Uh, with <laughs> with adversity comes strength. And uh, we've got a really strong uh, supply chain and a group of hemp operators in the state that have been able to, to really create some some amazing outcomes but it's extremely we're extremely limited and uh, you know to to kind of battle the regulatory framework how it continues to change uh, how to you know keep yourself from making claims on products the the whole process is, is extremely difficult and uh, highly limiting
1: so in your opinion would lawmakers really get on board to support legalization? Entirely, if the manufacturing and cultivation process were a little bit stronger?
0: Well, I think it's a it's such a complicated topic that rulemakers have difficulty understanding it completely and and placing the, the correct regulatory framework around it. I mean what, what we've seen uh, since the farm bill in 2018 is there the interpretation of the intention behind that bill, And the ability for these operators to kind of circumvent uh, some of the pieces to create compelling products that has clear demand in the market by consumers.
1: Now, Derek, Jay, we're were just mentioning about how difficult it is for lawmakers to understand that you've been a push for education. Does what he said resonate with you?
8: Oh, it absolutely does. And, you know, we... Really, Labcana, our company, our perspective is beyond just selling hemp-derived products. Um, We've grown, we've processed, we manufacture our own products. So we have that entire supply chain experience. And that's how you really get to give that accurate app
1: education to those lawmakers. Thinking big picture about the business perspective here. You know, aside from the legal limitations, is Nashville a good market for cannabis-based businesses? Dre, I'd like you to answer that.
7: Well, um, I think the overarching answer is yes. Um, I think we are just very challenged right now with the regulatory environment. And so I think there, uh, I just want to applaud everybody on this call because there's a lot of champions out there trying to make great changes. And we're in a prohibition era. So we're blazing new trail and, um, and it's a tough road, but ultimately there is a lot of economic value to be reaped uh, in this localized uh, regional area. And I think it's, uh, I think it could be wonderful.
1: You know, have any of you all spoken with your lawmakers, Jay?
0: Not directly. Um, You know, I keep a a close eye on it, uh, but it's, it's a really difficult channel to communicate well. in, And I think we've got some good, some good lobbyists and some good groups
1: uh, paying attention and communicating the right things to our lawmakers. So, you know, these are products that people are taking into their bodies and the quality of the ingredients is very important. Jay, you alluded to that, you know, but there's fear that fentanyl might be used in black market cannabis products. So that's driving people to push for regulated legalization, Derek, Explain to me what's your view on this. Well, I mean, that
8: is exactly the reason why we push for regulation so hard. Um, it's you know very rare that a business or a an industry asks to be regulated, and this is one of those instances because. Having that protection and really changing the perception and cannabis shame that we've all experienced, um, that's where that starts. It's really making sure that uh, we have vetted products that the people that are checking to make sure those regulators that are making sure that the products are safe, effective and as marketed. That is a huge pathway forward. Um, You're speaking towards the opioid epidemic. There you go. Why, why uh, continue to restrict and prohibit this industry when it's kind of contributing to the black market side opioid epidemic?
1: Jay, you know, Drea, let me ask you this. You mentioned the regulatory environment. Is there anything you want to say about the current state of things?
7: Um, You know, I think, unfortunately, especially with Tennessee, we're slow. And um, that lag um, is is continues to put strain on local businesses that are participating in this potential economic growth, as well as it puts uh, consumer safety in jeopardy. So I just can't stress enough how important it is that we continue to push forward, uh, you know, to our lawmakers and and people that are lobby- lobbying on behalf of this industry to get the guidelines and the regulations in place. It's a must.
1: Is this type of thing that's going to, you know, push us back if states around Tennessee decide to move ahead with, you know, regulation and legalization?
7: I don't think it's necessarily going to push us back per se, um, but it certainly doesn't. uh, In some ways it helps us push forward um, by way of, again, you know, with movement around us, it begins to create a pressure cooker. And so hopefully that will create change. But you know, ultimately we are we are simply behind and we just need to keep pushing.
1: Jay, I'd like to get it this your opinion on what changes you think we need to establish within our regulatory standards. What would you like to see?
0: Well, we have a, a bustling recreational cannabis market here in Nashville today. Um, the only real regulation right now for these products is a limit on delta nine THC. Uh, so, for me, I, I think as we talk about how do we regulate these products better, we need to be looking at the channels that these products are placed, the the potency for sure, but also the the packaging, and really the consumer safety piece is about. Potential contaminants. So, this supply chain, these products can sometimes carry harmful contaminants like pesticides and heavy metals and mycotoxins that no one in this state seems to be talking about on a regulatory level. So, as far behind as we are here in Tennessee, some in some states were decades behind these other more mature markets it gives us an opportunity to to refer to these more mature markets and their regulatory scope to better understand
1: what, what it means to have a safe product on the market here in the state of Tennessee. All right, Derek, considering where things stand now, and maybe, may, just maybe, the way attitudes are shifting, what does the future of the cannabis industry look like here in Tennessee? Um, that's a great question.
8: Uh, the support is there. Agriculture and commerce is the state motto. I really struggle to see a more apt agricultural commodity that applies more in alignment. Um, you know, I think that there's certainly a push on the revenue side uh, towards the money that the state could see, the money that local jurisdictions can see. That's going to be a huge positive. Um, Fred mentioned this before, all of the applications of the hemp plant, uh, it's essentially a zero waste crop. And the way that it can be used is really mind blowing. Um, The applications are almost endless. So, to really restrict that, it's going to, it'll really not serve our lawmakers well to continue to fight a losing battle. Um, I do think that it is on the horizon because, like it was mentioned, there is that. Pressure cooker scenario and environment that we are experiencing with the surrounding states that are legalizing, um, that does come with a positive. We are able to learn from the legal states, the the both benefits and detriments to their regulations. Sometimes they're overregulated, and then that stimulates the wrong side of this industry. So, if we all continue doing what we're doing, um, one of the big things, and when I say we, I mean our citizens the nation um we've seen how the polarized opinions with covid specifically uh, have really raised our nation's political voice do that with this bipartisan um equalizing and unionizing
1: I agricultural s- commodity I, I gotta stop you right there we don't have much time left man that was derek bassini he was joined by draug rochelle guinness and Jay Mitchell. Thank you all to everyone who listened to this hour. Tomorrow's strawberry season is here in Tennessee. We're gonna hear from local farmers and food justice advocates about what makes it so special. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche Rose Gilbert and Tasha A.F. Limley. Digital lead is Anna Gayogos Cannon. Mikayla Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Mark Montgomery, Blaze Ganey, and Tanya Lewis. Please tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find our quick survey online and let us know what you think. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ecolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.